Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Raptors fans have acted like I was like, fuck Canada. I think we should cut it off from the North American continent and let it float away and and be destroyed. And they are wrecking me for this. So I would assume like Sixers internally, I'd assume they're pretty mad at looking at that play, right? Hello and welcome to Take Line. We have another great show lined up today. We're going to continue to talk about the NBA playoffs. We'll be joined by the incredibly funny Aaron Edwards today, writer on All Caps, contributor on the Locked on Suns podcast. And we'll be talking to uh, two athletic beat reporters covering the playoffs, Eric Name covering the Bucks, and Rich Hoffman, who's been covering the Sixers for a long, long time. But first, let's welcome in... Aaron and producers Ryan and Zuri to just kind of like chop it up about uh, the games that we've seen over the last couple days. Let's start with gentlemen. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Hey there. What up? How we doing? Good. Good morning. Um, <laughs> doing fresh. <laughs> uh, let's start with Heat Sixers. Um, and the, and the big thing you want to know about this one is Tyrese Maxey doesn't want to sit next to James Harden. Uh, what do we think of this game, uh, Tyler Hero? Hot off the bench for 25. Jimmy Butler, uh, 15 points, but doing it on both ends. Neither team shot well. Like, the Heat romped, but, like, both teams shot pretty poorly. (laughs) The difference being uh, Miami Heat are, you know, did it with their defense, as everyone expected, and made it really hard for James Harden as, like, the hub of the Sixers' offense in the absence of Joel Embiid to do... Really, anything? There's they on Sports Center. There's like when they show you know when when they're covering on Sports Center last night, right? They show a, one basket of Harden's where he it's like late in the game where he kind of like gets going, and he he uh, comes off the pick and roll, drives into the lane, and then like throws up like this two handed, like five foot half shot half layup that is like when you as a kid were playing against much taller kids and it just made me all around sad. I just like, we need to stop talking about, has he lost a step? Yes. Stop it. The step's gone. It's not there. He can't do that anymore. Uh, Everyone knows that Harden can't get by him now. (laughs) Everybody knows it. Kleba's going to be out there like, Harden can't get by me. Like everybody in the league knows that he can't get by you. And it's really sad to watch. It's like, Watching a declawed lion at a zoo. Like, it's just watching a dude <laughs> that everybody knows. It's just, he just don't got it anymore. It's really sad. Is he is he declawing himself? <laughs> is there a chance that he's playing his way out of Philly the same way that he's played his way out of other organizations? I mean, it's hard to I'm tell at this point, right? Devious. Like, father time I, comes for us all, but he's mastered yeah. the art of the exit. So maybe, but what he, I don't think he'd do it in the playoffs, though. I, I think, think it's going to just what he can do. I can like see that I'm reading the tea leaves. I can see what's going to happen to Harden. Remember when Allen Iverson left the Sixers and then the Nuggets and you were like, wow, he's a Memphis. Wow, he's a Piston. <laughs> like, I think it's going to mm-hmm. be like that for Harden. Like one day. <laughs> he's on Memphis. He's on Memphis for yeah. like 15 minutes. I, I think that's how Harden's going to go. You're, he's going to be on the Hawks one day. You're going to be like, what is happening? And he's just going to be gone. And I just see his career well, going like well, that now. I mean. The issue is the extension, though, right? It's like he's up for a $47 million a year extension that we fully expected, you know, a month ago. His good friend Daryl Morey would absolutely tender him. It's almost, hang with me here. This is like I'm entering like Nick Wright territory. It's almost the best. It's almost the best. The, kind of like a perfect path for the Sixers because, like, I think you could argue, hey, some line. If you don't play DeAndre, if you don't start DeAndre Jordan, who gave up three million points per possession when he was on the court, right? Then you don't start in a hole. Maybe you're 
and you know it was a it was a game through the first half. You're in this game. This game, from that perspective, was lost in the first four minutes, right? Harden is doing enough in his facilitating and and at least being a threat out there to hit a shot. They were 17% from beyond the arc, like, but they'll hit some of those. But with Harden's obvious uh, decline, now, okay, the Sixers are competitive with a very good Heat team and more he can go into the postseason, you know, after the after the playoffs and say, well, we think you declined, James. And so uh, I don't think it'd be right for us to give you the 47 million. <laughs> it's almost like like it would from this argument. And again, I, I'm I'm talking myself out of it as I hear myself saying it <laughs> from this argument. It would almost be worse financially if James Harden was like 80 percent of what he was or 85, because then they'd have to give him the full max. It's a perfect. I storm. think. Yeah, I, I think. No, I think. Maury, <laughs> Ryan, what do you, Ryan, what do you think? I think now we're trusting the financial process and not not the on court process, if that's what we're hoping for. But yeah. I will say that <laughs> when it, when we look at Harden, we lament about the past and how you know how that step, how devastating that step used to be. But watching that game last night in real time, Doc Rivers is seriously living in the past when it comes to DeAndre Jordan. Like that start was abysmal. And I thought, like, wow, they're just going to lose by 50. And then he comes out, and they bring it back. And then he starts the second half as well, and they go right back down. And then he comes in while they're, like, down, like, nine late in the fourth. And when he comes out three minutes later, they're down close to 20. He was, it was like, minus. Horrible just watching his minutes. Well, I mean, it, it, he was minus 17 in the first in the first four minutes, like, of being on the court. I, I think that it's. You know, you want to know it's he's Doc is a lot like Thibs. You want to know why those coaches are successful. It's because they believe in their guys to the end. That's why it was so shocking last season when Doc was like, I don't know if we can win a title with Ben Simmons. Like that was a shock to hear that because usually Doc is like, it does like if I was on the Sixers, my height and my age and my fitness level, Doc would be like, oh, yeah, Jason's giving us when he's out there, you know, like we're scoring a point possession. It's it's like the, the stats tell me that's great. Like, uh, you know, we like Jason. Uh, we like him at five foot four out there. And we think he could, like he Doc basically said we like we like DeAndre. And that's and this is the this is this is the flip side of that, because he gives guys the this his confidence and they believe in him and they know that no matter what mistakes they make their doc is going to let them play through it. And that allows them to have the confidence to do the things they need to do. And then the flip side is he is out here being like, Deandre, we think you could do it. And Deandre is like, I should have retired four years ago. <laughs> like I am, have been, I have been, I have been on a four year scam, you know, and it's been successful thus far. Uh, and so I, this is this is who Doc is. This is who he is. Is there anything? What do you what what do we make of? It's not just like my theory. I think like the, this is like a pretty reasonable take is that, hey, don't play DeAndre. And maybe this is competitive because the Sixers lost this in the first four minutes. I what do, what do like, you make of that? We saw it last year. Even KD had to bail. Like the only reason. DeAndre Jordan got to the Nets was because Kyrie and KD wanted him. And at the end of the day, yeah, Steve <laughs> Nash was like, I can't guy. do this, guys. Like, <laughs> I love you guys and you got me this gig, but I can't play DeAndre Jordan. And it feels like everybody else sees it. Like, he must be great at practice because I don't know what what Doc would see that makes him think that he can guard Jimmy Butler in a switch or stay in front of even Duncan Robinson. I just don't know what Doc Rivers sees that makes him think that he can handle this. The worst thing that happened for DeAndre Jordan was playing with Chris Paul because he made him look way too good for too long, and it's just going to stick with him, and now everybody is seeing what he actually is. Remember remember when Doc, like, back, back during the Clippers days, was like, DeAndre Jordan for Defensive Player of the Year. We think that that's right. Like, I think that he is the defensive. I think that that is legit. That wasn't, listen, it was not, it was not legit then. And DeAndre was fine then. He was fine. But it was not, that was not a real thing. And, I mean, Doc <laughs> will never back down from this, that DeAndre is good. I kind of understand it from this standpoint. Doc being uh, loyal to his guys and seeing that DeAndre was approaching a point of, like, unusability. When everything is right, sticking him behind Joel Embiid is kind of the perfect place for him to be in the NBA. But when Joel goes down, then it's like, all right, now we need our backup center. 
it's the second round of the playoffs. Ooh, I'm going to pay for this, but DeAndre is my guy. And then it's everything that you say, Jason. So that's a, another level of this Joel Embiid injury that just like is absolutely devastating. The fact that they actually had nothing behind him that was legitimate at this level. Yeah, they kind of wish they would have probably kept Dwight Howard, which is a weird thing to say, but he would have been a lot better person to keep for a time like this. 10,000%. <laughs> I mean, at least people would be afraid to drive the lane because Dwight would use all five <laughs> fouls, you know, all six of his fouls, like, on them in a single play. Um, let's move on to the second game of the night. Uh, Suns-Mavs. Uh, man, Aaron, let's, I'll let you kick it off, but I'll just say it seems like the Suns uh, perfectly deployed the strategy they wanted, which is, okay, Luca. Yes. <laughs> Do your thing. We'll li- we'll limit your passing as much as we can because we know the thing that makes you dangerous is these spot up shooters that are all around you, many of whom cannot dribble. So let's see how they do. Trying to create their own offense, Maxi Kleber, Dorian Finney-Smith, etc. Um, and and we'll cut off Jalen Brunson, and we'll just see what you can do. And he did his thing to the tune of forty five points. Uh, Luca is. You know, 12 rebounds, eight assists that, you know, the eight assist number. I, I think, you know, Luca was in a in a game in which in an alternate universe in which the Mavs win, that assist number is probably something like 12. Um, and the Suns win easily 121-114. Aaron Edwards, your thoughts. Um, I was at the game last night right behind the backboard and it was jarred like watching like the beginning of that game like Jason Kidd said they don't have the bigs and Aiden is just on another level right now and it's like he didn't even see Dwight Powell there <laughs> it was really just like Aiden was just doing practice shots in the gym because they just don't have the bigs and it was just really insane like Devin Booker took on the role of guarding Brunson which I didn't see coming and he did amazing job it was just an all-around whooping like the end of the the end of the game didn't tell the real score they were playing prevent and missing a lot of shots and i don't think eight and touched the ball <laughs> and it was just it was just a fun game to watch like it was pretty much exactly what i thought it was going to be monty just said all right bridges try to keep luca from scoring as much as possible but we're gonna cut the passing lanes and he's just gonna get layups and don't foul him just let him get these layups and he took a bunch of step back threes, which everybody wanted him to do. And it was just a perfect game plan. I'm sure they're going to come up with more stuff now because Kleba got a lot of open shots in those JaVel minutes. But I'm he sure like, a, he did get a lot of open shots. Yeah. So, but I'm pretty sure that I just don't think they have the men. I don't think they got the people. What, what do you think? So Booker, you know, was fine. But some of, at least some of his plays looked like. The, the hamstring was not going to be a problem. He had, you know, he had like some nice drives. He had a nice like leaner three. He was, it seemed to be moving well on certain plays. How concerned are you when about him? He looked a lot better than that last Pelicans game. Like he at least tried to dribble by yeah. people. They had Luca on him sometimes. They also, they're really good on defense. I just think matchup wise, the Pelicans were just way better. They had longer dudes that could defend. And they just don't have the dudes. Like Brunson's way too small. He get he got switched on the eight and a couple of times out there. Like Booker was getting to the rim pretty much like his old self. He still didn't really get any free throws to the end of the game. So that had me worried about the hammy a little bit. Like he's still a little worried to get in there. But he dunked the ball, which I was wasn't sure he was able to do at some point. <laughs> Let me just say this: every time I'm watching a, a fucking Suns playoff game on TV, obviously on TV, I'm amazed at. The, the amount of fans there who dye their hair Suns colors. I think they, I think the Suns probably lead the league in fans <laughs> with hair dyed to match the team colors. To give us, give us, what is the vibe in the arena like? What was it, it was, like in there? It was really insane. Like, I've been to a couple of playoff games since last year and. When when Phoenix teams are good, it's wild out here. It's like SEC school wild <laughs> in some of these stadiums. And it'll be like the most fancy business dude, like with his child, with just like the purplest hair and like mismatched purple and orange shoes. Like it's <laughs> the vibes are pretty nuts in there. 
that's kind of similar to what uh, Kelsey Wright Johnson said about Memphis last week. Like, I love hearing like about when these small market teams are good because the entire city invests in it. Like that, that is the easiest way to the dopest atmospheres. Yeah. And that's like probably why like online everybody's there's this thing about people saying Suns fans need to be humbled (laughs) because we kind of been acting ridiculous, but we had the worst team in the NBA for like 11 years. (laughs) So we're going to act like the worst people in the world. I'm sorry. We're not turning it off. (laughs) Nor should you. My, my thing was, Uh, what was, what was the, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Missouri. No, no, well, uh, in one, I think Luca looked really hobbled. I thought he had a lot of plays in the first half where he had no lift. Even scoring 45 points is pretty amazing. But my thing with the Suns, Aaron, let me know if this sounds right, is you know how, like, when a mom senses that her kid is in danger and can, like, lift a truck <laughs> and, like, has, like, the superhuman yes. strength? I feel like the Suns have, like, totally rebounded from the brink against New Orleans, and now they're, like, on this, like, really hot track where guys look healthy, Devin Brooker's, like, yelling at people down the court, Chris Walls, like, feels like he's young again. I don't know, I think they're just in this moment where they're playing over their head because they sense that, oh, we everything's on the line, we have to win this championship. Yeah, I, the Pelicans the Pelicans blew us out once this year, and Willie Green is a good coach. Like, I think they beat us by, like, 18 or, like, 20-something, like, at one point during the season, and they just had the players. Like, they had C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram. Like, they were good. Like I said, like, once you beat a team nine times in a row, 10 now, <laughs> like, you kind of – it's hard to really be scared of them. And I think the Suns just – know the Mavericks like you can't accidentally beat somebody 10 times in a row I'm sorry uh any 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 final thoughts on this like let's get a let's get some I think yeah I think four honestly five. it might be I think it might be four I think we might get Scott Foster for sco- uh, game four to stop the sweep but I think it's four or five <laughs> <laughs> all right the Scott Foster effect no, getting obviously we're overreacting to, to recency bias but such is that's the where that's the way uh the human mind uh, is built to work uh, and so, but I agree. I think that the matchup, they they're, they swept them in the regular season. The matchup is clearly bad. The the Suns' personnel, their depth is, and the quality throughout their depth is uh, not a thing the Mavericks can match. Luka is amazing, but like, again, size, depth, the, the way the players match up, it's just not a good, it's not a good fit for Dallas and I, I, I agree. Zuri, uh, your, any predictions for you? No, I'm with you guys. I think I think probably sends in four or five. Uh, Aaron made the point about Dallas's front court just not matching up with Phoenix's, and and that's probably going to be how the series plays out. But maybe, like, sends in five. No, I totally agree with that. I think that they should use their depth and quality of depth to try to, like, give, Book, give Booker the series off, but give him as much, like, time on the bench as possible for him to make sure that he's good for the next round. Yeah, well, Chris Paul played like 26 minutes and it was the least amount he's played all the playoffs so far. So Monty can see that he can probably kind of rest these dudes this series in the right way, at least. Coasting into the Western Conference Finals. Crazy. Uh, Next up, let us discuss Golden State v. Memphis, an exciting game one. Uh, Jordan Poole continues to be so infuriatingly fucking good. I can't wait for them to pay this guy and, and see how they manage to do it because it makes me sick. 31 points, five of 10 off threes. It's like, he's like a, someone tweeted, it's like if Steph had mentored Monte Ellis. <laughs> really and that's is. exactly right. It's that's, that's so exactly good. right. It's like it's like if you take the bit the if you take like the basic build of a remorseless, like old school shoot first scorer of the of the mid two thousands and late nineties, but then inject him with like Warriors culture and Steph Curry like IQ, and and this is what you get. And it's it makes me sick. Uh the Grizzlies had every advantage to win this game. Draymond Green ejected for uh, what some certainly will think is a drastic uh, flavor <laughs> yeah. two that has since been upheld by the league. Um, the Grizzlies were at home. They got seemingly, and not even seemingly, they got like every important call. Uh, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., who is usually like a- attracting fouls like a queen bee attracts her bees, it is was like, you know, was unburdened from not having to 
to check like an elite offensive big man and went crazy uh, in this game was was like, you know, was really good in a way that like I think the Grizzlies would like to see in the future consistently going forward. John Morant, 34 uh, points, 10 assists. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, six three-pointers, 33 points. Uh, but the Golden State Warriors eke out the win, 117-116. Clay Thompson with a fucking back-breaking <laughs> three late in the game. Missed his free throws, but it doesn't matter. The Golden State Warriors win. And here's a hot take. I think it, I think this could be like a gentleman's sweep with every game being close. Like every game being a tightly contested, like seesaw fucking battle, but with the Golden State Warriors uh, getting out in five. What do we think about this game uh, going? I just stepped on my own prediction, but I'm going to put it out there. Uh, what do we think? Aaron, what, what do you think of this? Oh, yeah, I actually agree with you. I think it's going to be like Boston and Nets without the jokes at the end, though. Like, I think like, it's going to be such a good series, even though, like, it's just they don't have the storylines. The Nets getting swept was just hilarious because the storylines. Like, I think the Memphis Grizzlies, like, they played really hard this season. And, like, I just think they're one of those teams that were really good in the regular season, but they are they have to learn in the playoffs. So I just think the Warriors just having just the history and knowing how to play in the playoffs, I just don't think Memphis is ready. And I think they're going to play the Warriors hard. But those crutch times, like – this isn't Minnesota. Like, they're just not going to give up leads in the last five minutes or four minutes. I just think the Warriors are going to be able to hold them off, especially once once Clay and Steph start playing better. They played bad the last game, and they still got the W, and Draymond didn't play. I just don't think that Memphis can handle that, honestly. Sorry, Ryan? I think if, if Dylan Brooks doesn't... If Dylan Brooks doesn't take another three-pointer for the rest <laughs> of the series, then Memphis takes two games. I think it's, it's such a black hole... <laughs> It, it's, like, so poorly designed. He's such a bad shooter. I don't know why he shoots so much. And maybe run some more plays for Desmond Vane, but, yeah. Uh. But you know what? I think it's a brilliant education for them because it's, like, what better way to learn how to be champions and play like champions than to play champions. And, yeah, I think coming down the stretch, they probably felt the weight of the circumstance, the fact that they were at home, the fact that Draymond wasn't there. They really felt like they needed to get that game, and they played a little tight because of it, like, job missing that walk-off layup you know that's a sports center top 10 play like numerous times throughout the regular season it just everything was a little bit off but those are the moments where you need to be able to be calm and do what you normally do but yeah i could totally see them never being embarrassed never getting blown out but never being able to quite get over the hump and grab the dub if they do i think it'll be in game two i don't give them a shot in golden state yeah if Memphis loses tonight, then it's done. <laughs> I mean, they have to win. They, they, they kind of. I, th- I, it feels like a must win. Honestly, like I, I think we're over. I said this to you guys in pre-pro, but I think we're kind of like forgetting the fact that Minnesota should have yeah. beaten the Grizzlies yeah. like several times over the course of the series. Like had m- multiple double-digit leads, where if they weren't a mistake bedeviled team that is young. Carl Anthony Towns not that young. He's been in the league eight years. Okay, but we'll call him young. That makes a lot of fucking mistakes that they would have won. Like, if that was a more seasoned team, they win. And the Warriors are just not going to make those mistakes. They're not going to make them. Like, it was shocking when Clay missed both free throws because that's not a thing they do. But I, I just feel like the Warriors are going to execute and they're not going to make the same mistakes that the, that the Timberwolves made over the course of their series. Um, but it'll be it's going to be exciting. It's going to be an exciting series. And hopefully one that is not as poorly officiated as, as uh, game one. Okay. Uh, and then finally, Milwaukee Bucks, Boston Celtics. Here's a game. Now, you want to talk about officiating. They just let them go in this one. And I thought I thought in a way that was obviously fans of either team are going to complain yeah. <laughs> a lot. But I thought that they did a good job in just allowing the physicality. I mean, it looked like an old school, like like almost '90s, t- early 2000s NBA game at times. Uh, the Bucks romped 101-89. It here is like the exact inversion of the Suns Mavs game. Celtics kind of got what they wanted, which was okay. 
you know, let's let's guard the three. Let's let Giannis like get in and pack the paint and then see if he can like and let's make him spray the ball around. And then he did 12 assists. He got great production out of Drew Holiday. The Bucs have been waiting for this one. 25 points, 10 rebounds. Bobby Portis, 15-11. And the Bucs win 101-89. And the Celtics realize, oh, we've got a completely different kind of superstar in Giannis versus the two superstars that mostly perimeter guys who are going to shoot over you type players that we played with the Nets and KD and Kyrie. Uh, Your thoughts here, Aaron? Um, yeah, I just think that um, Memphis just, they're just more physical. And I think that finals run definitely just helped them. Like Giannis just has a confidence in the playoffs now that he didn't have before. Like after getting over the hump, like Budenholzer, even just last year, he was, his, he was on the hot seat. If they didn't win the finals, he wasn't going to be the coach next year. I just think they're playing with house money now and they're just a lot more confident in the playoffs. And especially like Giannis knows who he is. Like he knows he doesn't have to get a bucket every single time down the floor and he can make the right pass and he's getting it to really good shooters. Like everybody on his team can shoot and he knows that he can get a 50 point triple double in game six of the finals and ruin my summer. Like he knows he can do that too. (laughs) So I think Giannis is just playing on a whole nother level to where it's like, I don't know if Boston can really handle him once he really does decide to turn it on because he really didn't score. He was just facilitating once Giannis really wants to get going because I've seen it and it ruined my life. Like, I think once he really gets going, (laughs) then (laughs) it's done. That was definitely a low difficulty triple. Du- that was definitely a low difficulty triple double for Giannis in that game one against Boston. It's like you know yeah. that he has like he's capable of so much more from a scoring <laughs> standpoint. But when he's choosing to make the right passes and the offense is just and he's only taking the scoring that's just coming to him, he's even more dangerous than than I think when he does try to turn it on individually because then he makes his entire team that much better. And yeah, to see him do it against. Uh, the Celtics defense, which has been playing, you know, out of this world for the second half of the season and, you know, in the first round, I think is all the more impressive. I think a lot of us were looking at Jason Tatum like, all right, it was impressive what y'all did to Brooklyn, but, you know, we kind of know that Brooklyn has no heart. But if you can do it to Milwaukee, <laughs> now that would really be something that we would be talking about, like top five discussion spaces for Tatum and such. And, you know, there's still space in that series for Tatum to force those discussions, but... You know, the first game was not, <laughs> did not go well for him in that vein. I mean, listen, they, uh, they, they manifestively and objectively have no money. Yeah. That's clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, en- I'm enjoying Bobby Portis playing in sunglasses. It's almost like he's playing in poker shades. I'm not sure why. I thought, I thought Brooke Lopez, I thought he had such a tremendous game, even though he had, he ended up with six points and 10 rebounds. I thought he just was a great force on the court. And, um, and Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton playing well in Boston. I feel like if I was at NBA GM, I'd have four or five players on my team from each of the cities that I'd play in the playoffs just for that little boost that he had uh, playing <laughs> back in Boston. Um, and Doris Burke. I Doris think- Burke called Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown Jatum, which is a personal favorite now. I think we should keep that going. But yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. That sounds like a, that's going to be a mixed kid at an AAU tournament. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jatum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Watch out, Gonzaga. No. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> starting two guard for the for Gonzaga. Um, okay. What about now? Kind of like the Suns Mavs series. It feels like you know Celtics took fifty threes. They only made eighteen. It feels as if listen, the Celtics are going to shoot better, and this is still going to be a series. What do we think going forward uh, about? about the length of this series. I think it, I think I'm going to call it a seven game series. I think it's bucks and seven over the very, very good Boston Celtics. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm not as much of a prisoner of the moment from the game one outcome in this series as I am in some of the other ones. You know, I, I think that Boston is going to demonstrate what got them here. Like their defense is going to play. I don't think Giannis is going to average a triple double in this series. Um, so I do expect them to, you know, pull up, have their games, play their defense, make their shots, but I don't think they can do it four times. Yeah, like like I said, I saw it last summer. 
it it ruined my summer. <laughs> I just know what this team can do. I just know <laughs> what this team can do. And like Tatum's really good. Jalen Brown's really good. And I know that they can go off every once in a while. But <laughs> when Giannis wants to do it, he's going to do it. And they just don't have anybody that can stop that. And I just think trying to stop it for seven games is just not going to happen. I just think Milwaukee's been there before. And they've seen it, and they've done it on the big stage now. And I just think they can turn it on when they want. And I just don't think Boston has, like, that super superstar. And I know Boston people are going to talk so much shit because I said this. But, like, he's just not on the level. Like, he's a star, but Giannis is, like, astronomically better. And he's just, like, he can take it to a whole other level that nobody on Boston can handle. I don't care if you're the number one defense. Like, that dude can turn it on. I've seen it. I'm telling you guys, I've seen it. It was <laughs> up to <tired>. watch. <laughs> you sound actively concerned. Like I know you're. I know that most of your attention's in the Western Conference, but it seems like you've already got half an eye on what on Milwaukee's exploits. Like, damn, I'm definitely keeping an eye on it. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of that series, let's go to uh, Eric Name, Bucks beat reporter for the Athletic. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Well, it's a wonderful day uh, here, uh, considering that the Boston Celtics lost. They lost because the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks roasted them 101-89 in game one of their opening round, second round of the playoff series. And to help us uh, discuss and celebrate what has just happened. He is the Bucks beat reporter for the athletic Eric name. Eric, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Eric, what the, what the fuck with the Bucks, man? It's like <laughs> they come out soft every single game. One of the playoffs opening round for the last like four years. You never know what team is going to show up defensively. They're always solid. Let's just, uh, let me put that out there. Solid defensively all the time. But they do go through the season and the postseason with this weird, like, lackadaisical feeling of you'd really need to put the knife to their throats for them to be at their best. And so, you know, here we are. We're rolling into this uh, second-round series, and we're thinking, uh, you know, Boston's uh, been arguably, not even arguably, but, like, probably by the numbers, the best team in basketball for the last, you know, several months, they're hitting their stride. We just watched them uh, defenestrate the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we expect them to to get a good game uh, out of the Bucs, but, but maybe to win. And then the Bucs just fucking steamroll. The, the Boston Celtics, I think, are still missing shots at this very moment. This afternoon, they're somewhere still <laughs> missing all types of shots. What what is it about this team that, <laughs> that, uh, that makes them so infuriatingly inconsistently consistently i don't know they're just like they just drive me crazy did they drive you crazy eric uh you know that's just the beauty of the bucks a lot of content at all times really really happy <laughs> yeah. for them to to help me out there <laughs> but uh you know it, it's really interesting uh during the first round series i'd asked Giannis, like hey uh do you guys need to lose a game to play hard? Like, is, is that like, something? Why? Yeah. And I, I honestly felt a little bit bad because I asked it just like that. Like, do you guys need this? And he goes, no, 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 no. And then he goes on this long speech about how he likes adversity and adversity okay. brings the best out of you. And I was like, yeah. okay, so you do? Like, you do need to lose them, but apparently... Apparently they don't. Uh, apparently uh, they yep. can come out against the Boston Celtics and take it right yep. to them. Uh, I mean, it was it was seriously super impressive. I think for the Celtics, they went from playing, I, I don't know what the Nets were playing. Um, just pick up basketball. Roll them, yeah, uh, just roll them, roll, roll them out, out and let yeah roll it out and let Katie and Kyrie take us home. Hopefully, 
Yeah. <laughs> so so they go from they go from that to playing like real playoff basketball. Javon right. Carter is in your face, ninety four feet from the basket. Yeah. I mean, Grayson Allen is in your Pat Connaughton. Grayson Allen's been great. Pat, right. Pat Connaughton. What? Yeah. Pat Connaughton's giving you the blues? Like, come on. I, I don't know if if that's how it should go, but. I mean, the Bucs were ready to go, and yeah, I mean, it really was a flip-the-script kind of thing because typically they lose game one by 15 points. Then you, everyone freaks out and says, oh, my God, the Bucs are terrible. And then the yeah. next game they come out and smack you because that's just what they do. But this time they decided to flip the script, so who knows what will happen in game two. It's, 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 it's exhilarating. And you just came from practice. What are the vibes there like? Uh, I mean, for them, I think since they've been on the other end of it so many times, yeah, like of right. someone answering in game two, they're like, hey, let's yeah. just calm down a little bit. Like, you know, it was a good game one, but like they're going to be ready in game two. Like it's, it's only one game. So uh, they are, you know, seasoned veterans in the whole uh, making a comeback thing. So I think they are like on high alert that that the Celtics, you know, will remember how to play basketball. That that seems like something that that will probably happen as the series goes. And I mean, honestly, they came into this series thinking that this was going to be, a, you know, like a long drag it out kind of series with these guys. So I do think we're going to see the Celtics be quite a bit better uh, in game two. But, you know, they actually have to do it and, and the Bucks will be ready for. It. Yeah. Giannis didn't really even have a good game that first game, like stats wise. So what yeah. what do they even expect the Celtics even expect from him coming in? Because they technically did stop him, but uh, Brown also had just a terrible game. So they got to have something figured out for Giannis coming in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at the ways teams have tried to stop Giannis over the years, it's a pretty simple formula. Like you're going to have like a bigger, stronger guy on the ball. You're going to have a rim protector waiting for him to clean up all of the Euro steps that he invariably does uh, and all the spin moves that he does. Like you have that rim protector and then you have a bunch of annoying players wings, long arms, point guards trying to steal and poke the ball away. The Celtics have all of those things, and they have them in spades. Like, there's just a bunch of guys, even the bench guys can kind of do that to them. So they have all of the tools to make it really tough on on Giannis. And, you know, as you said, like, they've been the best basketball team for the last three months in the NBA. So uh, they have all of that stuff ready to go. I, I thought Giannis struggled with just how physical they were. Um, I think he struggled finding his spots. I think he struggled finding ways through those gaps. Uh, but what he didn't struggle to do was dish out a bunch of assists. This entire year, uh, you know, he's been, I think he roasted me after a Nets game one night when I compared one of his passes <laughs> to Jokic. And he was like, Eric, hey, come on, man. You've been covering me for how long? You don't think I can pass? Like, you know I can pass. Uh, and I was like, I, okay, that's fair. But that looks like Jokic, man. Like that, there, there are levels to this kind of thing. Uh, and he, he really, I just thought, put on a show on Sunday. Like some of the passes he threw, whip pass underneath the, the basket to Bobby Portis. He threw a couple no lookers to Grayson Allen. Like he, he was diamond. Yeah. Since you're on the inside, you have to know. I just want to know, like, does does Drew Holiday? feel a type of way about Marcus Smart winning defensive player of the year for the stuff that he's been doing for like the last five years. Like he's got to feel a way about it. I got to Go say, on. not me. This is not me. This is probably me uh, just, uh, you know, projecting my, my feelings uh, and hatred of the Celtics like on the game, but it felt like Smart was a little taken aback. Like, Oh my God. Like, this guy is playing just as hard defense <laughs> on me as I play on everybody else. His, he's got really quick hands too. He is extremely strong. Oh, this is going to be different. It, that's how it felt. Did it? Did it feel like that way to you? Well, so I, I wrote this big long story at the Athletic this year about Drew Holiday and his defense, like how good he is at defense. So Drew sits down with me for forty minutes and he's telling me like all the things that he does well on defense, and he does this thing. And he did it to Marcus Smart on Sunday, where if you're bringing the ball up the court as a point guard, you push really hard into him, and then you're going to do a step-back move to alleviate pressure. Every point guard has learned that move from middle school. Like the, every, every crummy rec league coach has taught you, this is how you break down pressure. And when you try to do it against Drew, he just steals <laughs> the ball. You, you get into him, and he's just like, no, I got it. I'm just going to take it. And I told I like I told Drew while we were doing it, I was like, I don't know what to call this, man. Like, I've, I've literally just started to call it the Drew because no one else does it. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, like, five minutes in, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I do do this. And honestly, I probably am like the only person that does it. And I was like, yeah, man, you are. Uh, and he did it to Marcus Smart. And I, again, Drew is way too chill. Like he's not the type of dude that gets in his feelings. That's not just like who he is as a human being. But yeah, I would think he understands that what he's been doing for the last, I don't know, decade of his career is exactly the same stuff that Marcus Smart has been doing, except, you know, he's not quite as loud about it. Uh, he's a, a little bit more chill, a little bit more laid back than Marcus Smart, believe it or not. Uh, and he just hasn't gotten that same attention. So I think Drew's very aware, uh, but, you know, he'll just take his his all defense and, you know, he'll take his championship ring that I got last year and he'll be totally cool with it. Let's talk about the rest of that supporting cast. Obviously, um, Chris Middleton, his status is pretty up in the air. Uh, such an important secondary star for this Bucks team. But you've been uh, getting incredible, truly, like, incredible performances from Grayson Allen, who I think shot, like, almost 60% from three in the first round, continued to do that in game one, three of six from three. Uh, doing it on both ends of the floor, you know, Bobby Portis continues to be a cult hero. Uh, and and then you got a, a, a really great game out of, out of Drew Holiday, who uh, gave you 25 points, and it's great to win a game when you get that kind of scoring out of Drew. Uh, how is this Bucks team going to fill in that scoring hole uh, created by the absence of Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I thought it was going to be really tough. Let's just say that, right? Like, they played the Bulls in the first round, and that was not going to be difficult. The Bulls are not a very good basketball team. But against the Celtics, that's the number one defense. This is going to be really tough. And in game one, essentially, they just let Giannis pick them apart. They kept double-teaming Giannis. And that's the big thing, is that, like, Chris Middleton, I think 44% of his, of his made shots this year were assisted. So he's making most of his own shots. Like he's creating his own shots, five assists per game. Shot creation is a big thing that Chris Middleton does. These other dudes don't do that. Like they literally wait and say, all right, Giannis, I'm ready. Yep, my hands are ready. Come on, throw it. I got it. I got it. It's going up. And, and that's what they do. And in game one, that's what the Celtics let them do. Grayson Allen just sat there shooting practice. Bobby Portis sat there shooting practice. And those guys can do other things. Don't get me wrong. Grayson and Bobby are both willing to, to put the ball in the deck. But, like, if you just let them catch and shoot, they can be perfectly productive NBA players. Like, they both shot 40-plus percent from the three-point line this year. Like, if you let them catch and shoot, they can do that. The big question to me is what happens in this playoffs when a defense doesn't let them do it. Like, if the Celtics are like, okay, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't send all these double teams to Giannis. Maybe we should just try to be a little bit more solid and make these other dudes do something other than shoot, catch, and shoot threes. We'll see if they can do that, though. Because as we've seen over the over the last year, uh, Giannis is the best player on the planet. That's, that's just kind of what he does. Uh, you can try just about anything. He's seen it all. He'll still get to the rim. He'll still dunk. He'll still make plays for other people he can hit a dirk fadeaway every once in a while uh he hits the baseline fadeaway he's, he's got a bunch of stuff in, in the tool bag so uh, i think the first team that can make them do other things is going to be the ones that can actually slow us down like slow the bucks down and make us you know figure out an answer to that question because right now we don't know the answer to that question because everyone's just letting them catch yeah. and shoot threes since the celtics technically didn't have to go against a big in the first series is the lopez thing just going to be an issue for them the whole series i mean brooke lopez like i just think he dude's insanely underrated uh he he went to the Lakers. He couldn't play defense. And everyone was like, this dude is washed. Like, there's no way. He's got nothing left. And then he came to Milwaukee and was like, oh, he's one of the most impactful de- defenders in the NBA. Sure. Yeah, this makes total sense. And he's just, like, nothing is easy at the rim. Like, if Jason Tatum comes to the rim, Giannis will be there. And if Giannis isn't there, Brooke is going to be there. And, and if Brooke and Giannis aren't there, you know what? Bobby might even be there. And then after that, Grayson and Pat are going to come flying through. Like, no matter what, there's nothing easy at the rim against the Bucs. And a lot of that is Brooke Lopez. He's he's really figured out how to play in this defensive uh, system under Mike Budenholzer. Giannis makes things really incredibly easy for him as well. But, like, he's super talented. And on the other end, he can post up. He can run to the front of the rim. He can get tip-ins. He, I mean, he used to average 20 a game on hook <laughs> shots. 
Like that was it. Like it, it was like, oh, there's a Brook Lopez post up, baseline spin. Oh, he drop stepped. Oh, he hit a hook shot. Okay, yep. I've seen all of those moves since the 1950s. Like that used to be his game. He can do that. But he also now shoots threes and stuff. So I do think like Brook Lopez is going to be a real problem for the Celtics just because Robert Williams, for as good as he's been all season, he's been fantastic. Like he's just not big enough. Like he's not big enough for Brook. And you go down the line, Al Horford, you want him on Giannis. You don't want him on Brook. Like there will be matchup problems. Uh, it's a, it's a great point. Let's for a moment touch on the 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 not red flags but you know like the the some of the warning signs as we head later into the series now the Celtics did miss a ton of threes they missed uh, 32 threes took 50 18 of th- 18 of 50 that's two le- only two less than the bucks took for the whole game you would expect they're going to convert some of those uh, officiating was i thought really really uh, you know obviously uh, fans of the team may disagree but i thought evenly reserved, you know, like they, they let it, they let it go. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they really the, let, they let some, game. you guys can play a little bit. It's yeah. They let a lot of shit go, but it was pretty even. Um, yeah. And to, to your point, in terms of the way they played Giannis, it was, let's double Giannis. Let's give him lots of looks and let's see if these other guys can do anything. Then these other guys did anything. What was your sense that you got from, from the team that the Celtics might say, okay, well, we, did the right thing. It just didn't come out the way that we wanted it to. Let's try it again and see if Drew Holiday can drop 25 on us again. Is that what they expect or they expect some tweaks? I mean, honestly, I think both teams have the same plan. Like the Bucks, again, for years, literally since Mike Boonell has been in town, they will not let the Stars do it. Your others have to beat the Bucks. Th- those will be the rules. You, you can shoot 800 threes. They don't care. And the, a bunch of them are going to be open. They don't care. As long as it's not the Stars shooting, they're cool with it. I think the Celtics feel the same way. Like, as long as Giannis isn't the one scoring 40 points, they're going to say, cool. You know, if if Grayson wants to have a big night, if Pat wants to have a big night, we're going to live with that. And I think, honestly, going into the series, that's what I thought in game one didn't move me off of that in any way. Like, I do think that is the approach for both of these teams. Like, don't let Jason Tatum get loose. Don't let Giannis get loose. And let's see, can Grant Williams hit six of 10 threes? in a game can Marcus smart. I mean, he jacks him up. So like seven of 15 in a game, like can one of those guys do it? And in game one, the bucks, other guys did it. Like they, they were totally fine. Giannis got enough and, and they got through it. And, and I just think that's how this whole series is going to play out. Like both those teams are smart enough and well-coached enough that the stars aren't going to get loose, that it's going to have to be other guys. Your predictions, your predictions for the series. What do you got? Oh, man. So before this series, <laughs> I said Celtics in seven. Like, I, I felt very good about the Celtics. Uh, I don't think I'm going to, like, move off of it all the way. I think it's still going seven. I'll go Bucks in seven, though. I love it. Like, I, love I, I, th- I, think we've, I think we've seen enough, and I think, you know, you're giving me the opportunity to flip-flop, so <laughs> happily. Like, if, I love flip-flopping. If I get this one wrong... Yeah, we have if we no get idea. this one wrong, the first prediction is the one I did. And if I get this one right, then this was my official prediction. I'm, this is a win-win for me. That's exactly right. He is Eric Name, Bucks Beat reporter for The Athletic. Eric, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, first of all, how is what is there any uh, new developments in the status of of Joel Embiid, and what 
how is the team uh, reacting to uh, Joel's injury? I, I mean, I think they're pretty mad internally, I would say. It's a very frustrating thing to lose maybe the best player in the league. I don't want to get into that argument. I know I know this is tickling, mm-hmm. but I, I wouldn't want to get into that argument. I, I, go ahead. Yeah. Like, I love it. Like, <laughs> Listen, I, as I was as I was saying in pre-pro, I've spent the last 48 hours getting absolutely flambayed by Toronto Raptors fans out of nowhere because I tweeted that I thought Siakam maybe should get a game for for what I thought was I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but oh, yeah. I think that was a reckless play and unnecessary in the moment. He clearly was like headhunting the guy. I don't think I think it was like very very borderline a basketball play. And I think it'd be fine if he got a game. But, but like Raptors fans have acted like I was like, fuck Canada. I think we should cut it off from the North American continent and let it float away and, and be destroyed. And they are uh, wrecking me for this. So I would assume like Sixers internally, I, I'd assume they were pretty mad if looking at that play, right? Yeah, it was not a basketball play. And you know, the, the funny thing is Doc, who he likes to complain about the officials a decent amount. I actually think- in- yeah. One case, he was justified. Like, the whole series, Siakam uses his off arm to, like, I would like to see, like, Tobias Harris's, mm-hmm. like, rib cage. Because I bet you it's all bruised from those bony elbows. And and he did not get called for one <laughs> offensive foul the entire series on that. So, for that to happen at the end of the game, yeah, I mean, like, look, the, the guy's face is right in front of you. And to swing your elbow through there, yeah, it was not a good play. I, I don't think... Pascal's a bad guy. You know, he's obviously friends with Joel. They're both from Cameroon. Joel was pretty cool with him after the game. But yeah, they're, I think overall as a team, they're they're down. I mean, that's such a freak injury. It's honestly, it's the most Joel Embiid and Sixers thing ever, though, for it to happen in that scenario. Like, like when it, whenever you have something go right. And you, it, it's like, guys, it's, it's unbelievably frustrating because like you can't even like after a game have a podcast or write something and just be like, Hey, they played pretty good tonight. Like maybe they got a chance yeah. against Miami if they keep playing like that. That was like Harden was looking good. You can't say that because the other shoe is going to drop at some point, and it's you know it's it's tough. So you know, I mean, I think they're they're saying all the right things. You know, they they did. I think they were only like six and eight without him this year, which is like for them without Embiid, that's like throw a parade worthy. Like I mean, they Absolutely. they usually yeah. were like oh and twenty without him. You know, when, when he didn't play. Um, so I do think like Doc and and Harden and Tyrese Maxey, like they they have a chance to be a little bit frisky in this series. But I, I think like there is an overall understanding of like, man, this is going to be hard. And this that's even before Joel Embiid yeah. maybe he comes back in game three or game four. But again, they, they don't even know yet because he hasn't cleared the concussion protocol yet. You know, I know there's been reports like of optimism, but, you know, they, there's still some steps that he's going to have to take to even get on the floor in the first place. Then he's got to play with the screwed up thumb and the mask. It's uh, It's a tough spot. Yeah, the odds on the Sixers dropped pretty bad since the Embiid injury came out. And do you think there's like anything north of Harden turning into 2017 Harden for them getting out of here? Or is that just like out of the question? Like they know Harden can't be what he used to be. Yeah, well, it's going to have to be that. Like, I mean, and from what we've seen in Philly, like I've I've had some takes on Harden. Like he – his bad games are rough, man. Like they, they are, they're, they're really hard. And the, <laughs> yeah. good, the good games are yeah, amazing. Yeah. Like he just played a game in game six where, yeah, okay. He didn't score 35 points. He didn't have the, you know, the, the 40% usage rate that we saw in Houston, but I mean, they scored 130 points and he made the right play literally every time, 22 points, 15 assists. I, but to me, a big part of him being able to do that is he's so good with Embiid to, like together. Like he he and Embiid, that was kind of the yeah. worry for a lot of people coming in. Oh, are they going to fit together? No, no, no. Like Harden actually needs Embiid. Like that, that worked right away. The, the yeah. problem with Harden is, you know, whether it's his hamstring, whether it's old age, bunch of games, lifestyle catching up to him. Uh, I don't <laughs> lifestyle, lifestyle, <laughs> nebulous lifestyle catching up. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've seen the sound come yeah, up a couple, a times. couple of times. Maybe during the the previous series, he might have done. <laughs> He's going to Miami. We're going to Miami. It's gonna be like lock. Put a lock on his hotel door. <laughs> like that was out. the joke that yeah. he played so well in Game Six in Toronto because he finally realized, hey, if you win, you get to go to Miami in the next series. Like that's that's where you're getting the. Play. <laughs> right, yeah. uh, I, for whatever reason and to me i think some of it is just like injury and attrition like for playing so much basketball yeah he yeah. just doesn't have it every single game so 
when he's bad, he just looks slow and he's not able to get, he just straight up, not able to get by guys like he used to. And so, yeah, they're, they're going to need that. Like, I, I do think he's going to be comfortable with the offense of, Hey, uh, you know, we're going to play five out for the most part and we're going to let you run around and take as many shots as you want. I think he's going to be comfortable. Is he going to be able to do that successfully to beat Miami? I don't know. I, I would say probably the other thing that, that would keep the Sixers in the series, like if Kyle Lowry is out for a long time, if Butler, you know, if Butler yeah. re-injures this, this thing that kept him out for game five, maybe that could make it a closer series. It It is a shame though. I, I kind of thought the Sixers had a good chance in this series if Embiid was healthy and played the whole time. I just I, I did too. The top end talent was there, but I mean, when you remove him, I you can't like write and talk about this guy the whole year of like, man, he might be the best player in basketball, and then remove him and be like, oh, it's not a big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It's massive. Being a very, very, very secret uh, fan of of Sixers <laughs> basketball. Uh, you know, I like to dip in and out of of uh, internal Sixer fan conversations. And I think there's no player, which may be surprising for the average sports fan, that there's no player that has been more derided, I think, even during the Ben Simmons era than Tobias Harris. Uh, you just did a, a really a great piece on him on The Athletic. He's had a really strong first round. I think if you're looking for how Harden can impact the game. You look at the games that Maxi had and Tobias Harris had in the first round and the way that Harden could set those guys up and make it easier for them. Um, what's Tobias Harris going to have to do, uh, you know, with Embiid out uh, to, to kind of carry the load for this team? And and do we think he can do it? Well, it's probably like the same thing he did in the last round, plus a little more scoring. It's So I when they traded for Harden, right. and you're right, Tobias Harris with, you know, Sixers Twitter is, man, he's been a hot button issue because he, he got, <laughs> he's been, because he really got paid $180 million and he's not worth $180 million. Like, he's just not. His, uh, no, no. His father is his agent. He did a nice job. Uh, Long Island legend Tobias yeah. Harris shouts to him. Let me just uh, shout out, shout yeah, out. And his uh, father, Terrell, got him, uh, you know, helped get him that contract. I mean, I would show that. Like, my my son is probably not worth that contract, and I got it for him, and the whole family's <laughs> doing great. So, and, and, you know, it's kind of funny now that they're playing the Heat, too. That's the other reason that he's, you know, he's not as well-liked because he – you know, in the 2019 season, which was just this crazy year, they made two massive trades in the middle of the year. One was for Tobias Harris, but the other one was for Jimmy Butler. Mm -hmm. They kept Tobias. They let Jimmy walk. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Jimmy's a better player than him. It just, he just yeah. is. And, yeah. you know, Jimmy <laughs> comes with baggage that like Tobias, like he's a pain to deal with sometimes. I think the Heat would even probably agree with that. But, you know, like <laughs> you got Joel when he's, uh, lambasting Ben Simmons earlier this year being like, yeah, and we traded Jimmy and that was a mistake. And by the way, <laughs> he's, th he's thought that for a long time. Like Jimmy, Jimmy and him got along. Yeah. They, they, they were simpatico with like the, Hey, like no, no BS. We're going to, we're going to, you know, tell you when you're sucking and all those things. Like they, they, they were big on that. Um, so that's another reason too. Like, so, but, and the, and the other thing with Tobias is like, he's more of a, He's more of like a scorer and he's more of a, a scorer on like a, a 40 win team. Like a guy who like, you know, puts up not, not, not always a good, good stats, bad team guy, but a little, a little bit like that, honestly, right. like, you know, holds yeah. the ball, he gets his 20 points, but like how much is he affecting the game? That's what was so crazy about the Toronto series. He was like, he was like playing great defense yeah. on Siakam. He was passing, he was pushing the ball in transition. He was like taking catch and shoot threes, which he doesn't really like to do, which I'm sorry. You play with James Harden, Joel Embiid, and Tyrese Maxey. That's that's what you do. We're yeah. not calling post-ups yeah. for you anymore. You, yeah, you got to do it. You got to do sorry. it. I'm sorry. Yep. So for him to kind of accept that role. And the, the funny thing with Tobias, we always joke, like he's like, he's been like the team leader. He's like the vocal guy for a long time. And it's always like, man, great player or great guy. But, you know, like it's like he's an even better guy which means like he's not quite as good of a player. Um, so, <laughs> so for him, for him to kind of catch up in that regard and just, it, it's been really cool to see. But again, like I, I do think like this is a really hard task for him. Like he's going to have to score more while also guarding Jimmy Butler in this series. And, you know, I'm not even going to think any less of him if he can't do it, but you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I will say he's probably in a better headspace than he's been since he signed that contract in Philadelphia for sure. 
Yeah. So with that, like with the scoring that Tobias Harris is going to have to do, like they have to make up for 30 points and pretty much almost 12 free throws a game. They have to for against the Miami Heat. Is there anything they can do to slow the bleeding down? Like at least. Well, yeah. And the other issue with it, too, is like defensively. That's the identity, you know, like that's. Yeah. That's your identity on defense. Guys, I I cover the NBA. I've covered the NBA for a long time. Like these guys are huge when you stand next to him. Uh, Joel, I've covered him for his whole career. <laughs> it's still like there are times where I'm just like, dude, you are massive. And 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 to have <laughs> that imposing of a figure standing under the rim and be mobile kind of around the rim like that. Yeah. That's a big part of Tobias being able to slow down Siakam and Jimmy in this series. So uh, to not have that, and let's let's be charitable, like the Sixers' backup center, which has been a, a, a big sore spot for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to say his name, are we? <laughs> Go ahead and say it. It's fun. I mean, it's like Candyman. <laughs> if you say it three times, and he plays thirty minutes in the game, it's great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and now it's like you know we have that big back and forth where doc is like, I'm going to play him against big teams. Like we know more than you, even though we're just like, Hey, like it's, I I think you do generally know more than us, but we know this guy is not that good. Like you, you, you lose every minute yeah. you play with him. Like he's, he's bad on defense, all these things. Here, here's the unfortunate part. Now you probably have to play him for a little bit now because there are 48 minutes a game. You got yeah. It. Yeah. And there's no one else. There's literally no other body over there. And the, <laughs> You know, the the people's champ, B-Ball Paul, like he's going to foul out in five seconds. And that's yes. why he was a good backup center. <laughs> if he plays eight to ten minutes a game, if he gets five fouls, it doesn't really matter. Now it's like, oh, well, uh, we have to make it 48 minutes without Embiid. So that's going to be that's going to be really hard. And I, I think, yeah, it's going to be Harden. It's going to be Maxi. One positive thing I will say about this, and, and I don't want to take too much for the regular season just because it's a completely different thing. They played the Heat without Harden and Embiid in late March. And the Heat had all their guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sixers won that game because they went hunting at Tyler Hero. Like, I've, like it was brutal in the fourth quarter. They scored 35 straight points just getting him on a switch. And Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton and Tobias, and especially Maxey, though, like going by him like he didn't even exist. That's got to be the the way to go about it. Like the the one thing about the Heat is they are a good defensive team. They do play some worse defensive players, and that's got to be the goal. Like Harden, he feasts on the bad players. Like he's got to find T- Toronto was not a great matchup because they had all of those long athletes. He's really got to find these guys for for Miami, and that's I think that's a big way how they score efficiently. Um, looking ahead, Joel. Last time he was in the mask, we assume we're going to assume he's going to be back in the mask with the with the injury. He quite loudly didn't enjoy it. Um, He (laughs) actively hated it. Really, really did not like it. Um, He's going to have to wear it again. You know, what, what were his reactions last time to the mask? Oh, it was unbelievable. And it's, it's honestly, it was, it feels like it came full circle because it was here in Miami when, when they played the heat in that first round series, like super physical first round series, heat weren't as good as they were or as they are now. The the one thing I'll always crack up about was Embiid throwing off the mask and Brett Brown. I thought he was going to get a technical. He had to like (laughs) run on the court and be like, dude, like we're going to get sued if you don't put this thing on man, like, or whatever, like you're not allowed to play. He would throw it off and Brett would have to run and be like, dude, you have to play with this. I'm sorry. So, so now he's got to do that <laughs> with the busted thumb. It's, it's going to be tough. But I mean, like to me, it's just, he's going to have to play with it. I mean, I think the fact that he doesn't need surgery and the fact that they're going to bring him back. Yes. He had surgery and a three week, three weeks off last time. So, you know, and I know this is, this is a different type of fracture. This one, you know, I, I know those can be, I'm not, I'm not an orbital uh, expert, but I, I hear that it is a little bit of a, a different type of fracture on the other eye. Uh, that to me is still crazy, you know, and it's, it's, for me, it's kind of a hard thing. Like I can rationalize him playing with his thumb and it's like, all right, he's, he's a tough guy. Like he's going to get through it. Like he'll get surgery on that at the end of the year and it'll be fine next uh, October. When it's your vision though, it's just like, that makes you a little yeah. queasy just thinking about that. But you know, I'm, I'm sure the, the thing is, they do have to protect him because he's going to want to play. Like he, from the moment his Absolutely. career started and he sits out two years in his career, his big thing is, I don't yeah. want to be injured guy. I, I just, 
It's almost more important right. to him than being the, you know, the MVP of the league. I don't want to be the guy that people say I sit out games because I had to do that for two years. And then I was on like an 18 minute limit to start like all of this, all of these crazy things to the point where like he missed, I think four or five games this year due to non COVID. He was out for COVID for, for three weeks, but get rid of that. Like yeah. he sat out like mm-hmm. four or five times just due to, due to rest. I think he takes a lot of pride in that. And I also think he takes a lot of pride in playing injured in the playoffs. So I, I do think they need to protect him from himself a little bit. And does um, the Miami Heat been like one of the more physical teams in the NBA? Does that hold any like barring to how quick they bring them back or how long they wait? Yeah, I mean, they're super physical. I think they when they play in playoff series, like it doesn't really even matter who the, the personnel are. They just they beat the hell out of you. J.J. Redick used to say that all the time. Like he was like. Man, that, that first round series, like they weren't even we we were a better team, but they just they almost like made us lose the next round because they just it was super physical and chippy and all of those things. And that's the other issue with Joel too. Like I think somebody told me today, it's like when Rip Hamilton had his his mask, it's like all right, that guy's like, does that guy even can he dunk? Yeah. Like can he even do that? Like <laughs> you know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> is, is he is he just going to shoot mid-range jumpers the entire night? Joel Embiid, if he doesn't go down low, I, I know he's a right. good shooter, and he's that's honestly a big part of why he's so good now is that he, he's got the perimeter game. But Joel Embiid needs to be by the basket for a decent amount of the game and unafraid to, like, yeah. mix it up yeah. with people and throw his massive frame around. <laughs> so it's, a, it's definitely a different story. And, yeah, I would expect them to be super physical. I guess you, I was thinking about it, though. You can't be that obvious. Like, you can't punch him in the face. Like, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think the, the thing is with the thumb, I think you can realistically be like, oh, I was going for the ball, but like karate chop him in the thumb. Yeah, whatever. Right, right. Every, That's something yeah. that reasonably yeah. he's yeah, just yeah. going to have to deal with. At least the face, it's like, all right, well, it'll look super obvious if they, they go for that at least. So, I mean, Pat Riley is yeah. in that building. So yeah. we'll see. <laughs> Rich is a staff writer for The Athletic. Uh, Follow him uh, there for all the great content and coverage of the Philadelphia 76ers. Rich, thank you for joining us. Uh, We'd love to have you back. All right, guys. Thanks. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out, folks. Bye. Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Drort. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah Dubalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.